0: I want to, in, a, in a two or three weeks' time, we're going to be starting this course undercover. So I want to begin to start to just sow some uh, seeds out towards that before we go there. I want to talk about the kingdom of God, and uh, I want to just uh, show you some things from the word of God. I'm going to do it over a couple of Sundays. Next uh, Sunday, I want to look at the difference between democracy and the kingdom. And uh, what you're going to find is, as we start to teach on the kingdom of God, uh, I want you to really be open for God to, to work something in your heart. You know, you can know lots of things, but not actually have a changed life. And what really counts is a changed life? And I remember when I first heard someone speak about the kingdom of God, I've looked back at the message and I thought, I don't know how that made any difference to me. But God switched the lights on of me. And I'm, my, my prayer for us as a church is that, Right across the church, God will switch the lights on for you to see something you've never seen before. And so, I want to, over the first couple of weeks, before we get into the course undercover, I want to just share some things that give you a perspective or or why it is we need to position ourselves undercover. And what the course itself will be evident what we need to do and how to face and deal with certain issues. But I want to give something like the bigger picture. So today I want to do the first in a series of two or three, just before we lead into the whole Undercover series. I do encourage you to get the book and, uh, and, and make it your de- a devotional study and ask the Holy Ghost to speak to you. Ask God to talk to you. I okay, want you to have a look with me, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, one that I have just loved and valued for years. Uh, And here it is. I don't have to turn to it. I know it, of course. Matthew 6.33. And uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I want to talk to you today about the priority of the kingdom of God. We're going to look further into these verses, I'm going to share a few verses with you, but I want to look around these verses in Matthew chapter six. And uh, when so it says, seek first the kingdom of God. So when you think about kingdom, what do you think of? Now, of course, if your church person me around church for a long time, well, it's just another word. Use it in church. Don't use it anywhere else. You don't go in your business and use the word kingdom. You don't go anywhere in society and use the word kingdom. In fact, you don't use it anywhere. And because we don't use it anywhere, we've got no kind of framework within which to uh, to uh, understand when the Bible is talking about the kingdom, what it's really talking about. And so what tends to happen is we approach uh, the things of God from the viewpoint shaped by our culture, and our culture uh, in in the West is not kingdom-oriented. Our culture in the West is very much democratic in its government, democratic. Next week, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between uh, the democratic form of government and some of its inherent weaknesses and the kingdom of God government, the divine government that God has intended, and uh, it'll really help you to understand Why so many believers struggle is because we come and we get born again into the kingdom of God, but we don't change in our thinking and approach to how we run our life. And so what happens is we are part of the kingdom of God with a whole new access to new privilege, but we don't access it because we're still thinking and living out of a democratic mindset. And it's very hard for us in the West to understand this, and I'll show you why. Uh, shortly, if you go to Thailand, for example, and you talk about kingdom, oh, kingdom! Immediately, everyone knows what you talk They know the king. The king there is the longest-serving king in any nation on the earth. They love their king in Thailand. You make any comments about the king, you'll be in jail. They love their king. Their king is benevolent. Their king cares about the people. The king intervenes in the nation at times to ensure that the welfare of the people looked after. He personally has initiated projects for the welfare of the people, the people in Thailand love their king. It's quite, they had a celebration of his anniversary a while ago, and the, the, the whole nation celebrated. Then you look around some other parts of the world, say so a bit nearer to us, uh, those who are from, uh, from the islands uh, would understand this. Tonga is a kingdom. They have a king. And he operates in a certain kind of way. So if you'd been uh, born in, in Tonga, you would understand about kingdom. And you'd have a certain idea about what the king was like and and various things related to that. But you see, uh, we're we're in the West now. We don't understand that. Now, uh, uh, I see there's a few older ones around here, apart from the young ones. Here's an old one or two. Well, uh, for the young ones who wouldn't know anything about this, you don't know anything about this. But I'll tell you something that we used to do. And this is what we said. Of course, if you're older, you know what we used to do. Uh, Every time there was a movie... Every time there was a movie, at the beginning of the movie, they would show a picture of the queen, our queen. And everyone would stand. Everyone in the theater would stand. It was unthinkable not to stand in the presence of royalty. If you sat down, everyone, they would stare at you. And they would sing a song, God save our Queen." You know, and uh, send her victorious, happy and glorious, born to rule over us. It's unthinkable for us to sing such a song now. Why? Because we've changed how we think. So for us, the thought that someone was born to rule over us is just inconceivable. Because our culture has totally shifted. And you see the whole of the the Western culture shifted. Of course, Britain, uh, they used to sing, you know, it's Britannia, you know, Britannia, Britannia rule the waves, you know, uh, you know, because it says we shall never be slaves. So the songs and the words were all about kingdom. And it came out of revival and it came out of reformation in the whole of Britain. And so years later now, I can remember when the change came and disrespect came, and gradually the Queen's role went from being a sovereign to actually being a figurehead government until finally now uh, the royal family, uh, uh, there's a mixture of either people either like them and respect them or they, they just think they're a, a joke. See? So that's happened in our lifetime, that that shift has taken place. So, So for the culture coming up today... It's unthinkable to stand at the beginning of a movie saying, God save our queen, God save our gracious queen. You know, send her victorious, happy and glorious, born to rule over us. A ruling class. It's unthinkable. See? And yet, it has in it actually a reflection of the very kingdom we're born into. Except we're born to be the ruling class. So we'll talk to you a little bit about the kingdom of God next week. I'll share about the difference between democracy and kingdom so you can understand the way of thinking and the way of operating is totally different. So when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about the realm over which a king is absolutely sovereign. It's a place or a territory over which his his word, his will is done, his desire is done, his values are imparted. Uh, his, uh, the kingdom of heaven, we talk about the kingdom of heaven or any kind of kingdom, we're thinking about principles, laws, and protocols, ways of doing things. See, a lot of Christians don't understand protocol. Protocol, if you're a Maori person, you'd understand when you go on a Mariah, there are certain protocols. And heaven forbid if you, do the, if you break protocol you will know about it because his consequences for breaking protocol is just the way you go about doing things. Now, the kingdom of heaven has protocols. So, for example, one of the protocols, when you want to approach the king, you approach him with an offering. You approach him with praise. So for all those people who don't clap, don't sing, don't bring anything to the king, you are breakers of protocol. Think about that. Think about that because the Bible is very clear. The Bible lays out the protocols of the kingdom and it tells us very clearly in the Bible how to approach him. It tells us to approach him boldly and confidently. It tells us come before his presence with uh, singing, come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. It tells us what to do. It tells us how to enter the courts of the King. See, so when we come, singing is not sort of something you just do at the beginning of a service. And if you like it, you do it. If you don't like it, you just wait to get the message. It's actually the protocols of how to approach a king. It's the ways of going about doing stuff. Now, there's a whole lot of things which are protocols of heaven. And if you want to see the benefits of heaven and the earth, you've got to understand the ways of doing things. And so undercover will we'll touch into one aspect only Of kingdom life and the dimensions of the kingdom. But what I want to do is to lay out some things prior to that so you can sort of get the perspective within which it happens. Okay, we've got the idea. All right, I want to have a look in Genesis chapter one. The focus of the Bible is the Bible is not about religion. Most people think it's all about religion. See, are you religious? No, I'm not religious. I hate religion. Religion's the blight of the world. It's true. It's the blight of the world. Religion's been the cause of wars, conflict, oppression, uh, persecution, all kinds of things have been done in the name of religion. And we'll uh, clarify the difference between religion and kingdom. Jesus never came to bring us religion. Religion is what men think up to do. And so if you're religious, it's because you don't understand what God really intended us to have. And he intended us to be totally free of all religiosity, totally free of all religion, and to have a wonderful relationship and understand how to bring heaven to earth. Most amazing. Let's have a look at God's original plan and design again. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God made man a spirit being with a unique capacity to be able to not only, he's a physical being, lives in a physical body, but as a spirit being. We're a spirit being just like God is a spirit being. And so we have spirit capacities. And as a spirit being, we are able to access into the world of the spirit the realm where God lives, as a physical being, we live in the earth. let us make man after our image and likeness, and that tells us here's, here's the mandate: let us let man have dominion over all the earth. So man is created a spirit being in the image of God, put into a physical body and given part of god 's creation in which to extend god 's dominion. Now, if you think religion, all you'll be thinking religion's about is trying to get you to heaven. But if you think kingdom, you understand that God wants your life to have purpose and impact and make a difference now. See? And so God's purpose for man is that we would have dominion. That means sovereign authority. That means that the life, the power, the privileges, the benefits of heaven would come into the earth through man. That's how you're designed you design designed that way. You function only when you recognize and embrace that. And so that's God's original design for man. We're created for a kingdom. So when God made man, he gave him a relationship. He gave him a realm of dominion and an opportunity to be a good steward and be promoted. See? So his career, he was created for that. And the key to being fulfilled is to understand I can never have a fulfilled life unless I have a relationship with God and fulfill his purpose in whatever area of life he has called me to fulfill. And so the cry, see, so when Adam fell, this is in essence what he did. In essence, because you say, well, he ate the fruit of the tree. No, no, this is in essence what he did. He said, basically in his heart, I don't want God to rule over me. I want to make it on my own and do it my way. When we think of sin, we tend to think of all the big, ugly, and bad things, which is true, it is. But the core of sin is saying, God, I'm not having you to tell me what to do. I'm not having you to give me directions. I want to break out and do my own thing. That is the core of sin. Now, when he did this, he lost his relationship, and he lost his capacity to bring divine power into the earth. He lost his kingdom. So as a consequence of that, a universal quest in every person. You find, wherever you find people, there are two things people are looking for. Number one, they're looking for purpose. What is the meaning of my life here? People get the end of their life, they say, is this all it was? You know? Is this all it was to it? Because they never found their purpose. So we've already shared quite a, little, quite a lot this year on purpose. But the second thing people are looking for is power people want power. We want the power to be able to control our life, control our circumstances, control what's happening around us. We we have a sense where we want to be in charge of life. See? And that is actually born into us because it's part of the dominion mandate. God designed us for this. Except the problem is when we let go of God, we do it all the wrong way. We rule over people instead of uh, working to build people and, and serve people and using God's b- blessings to touch the lives of others. We tend to want to subdue and control the people around us. You notice it says there, uh, let them have dominion. It didn't say have dominion over people, have dominion over the works of God's hand, not people. So we see there now, I want to just going to have a quick look through some scriptures. I'm not going to look all these up. What I want to do is uh, and I want to show you very clearly that throughout the Bible... The emphasis is on the kingdom of God. Now, if I just tell you that, it's hard for you to kind of grasp. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I'm going to do is just quickly, just going to throw, uh, just give a few scriptures. And I want to show you that without exception, the Bible is always about the kingdom. It's always about the kingdom of God. Now, you see, most times people think of, they just think church. But church and kingdom are quite different. And the message Jesus came, was primarily about kingdom. The church is those people who are part of the royal family, have given their lives to Christ, been born again, and positioned to now fulfill the original mandate, subdue the earth and have dominion. So the purpose you have, and we have corporately and individually, is that we would advance God's purpose, whether it be in art or finance or business or education or the media, whatever it is. Because what's happened is when people got religious, they then withdrew from the world. So the church now, on the whole, has withdrawn from the world, and that's the influence of religion. See? But God came to get, he came, his idea is a kingdom where we go out and we actually influence the world and change the world around us. Whether it be the environment, whether it be in the health area, whether it be education, whatever it is. That's why, young people, I'm all behind you pursuing being trained and developing your skills to the best you possibly can. Serving God is done in the marketplace best by developing our skills, what God has entrusted with us. It's an entrustment. Now, let me just give you a few scriptures just so you can see. I want to put them under three headings. Number one, just under Jesus' ministry. And I'm just going to quote the scriptures. We'll put them up on the screen if you've got them there. Just start to pop them up. And I wanted to show you just how... Everywhere, once you've seen this, everywhere you'll look, you'll see nothing but this. If you were to read through the Gospels again, what you'll see over and over and over and over and over and over is Jesus' emphasis on the kingdom. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 4.17, and Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Okay? In Matthew 4.23, and Jesus, this is his preaching, and he preached the kingdom of God and healed all who were sick. He preached. What did he preach about? He preached the kingdom of God. And what did he do? He healed the sick. Why did he heal the sick and cast out demons? Because that's all part of the kingdom of God coming into the earth. You see, sickness was never God's plan. So the kingdom is about God's protocol, God's life, God's values. God values healing and wholeness. So when, when the kingdom is preached, it's so the power of God might come into the earth, might have healings. Uh, and then uh, you see his, his teaching in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gathered them all together, and guess what he began to teach about? He began to teach about, oh, oh, goodness me, about the kingdom of God. You know what the Sermon on the Mount about is about? It's about all the protocols, values, and the way the kingdom operates. And so he says, well, you've heard people say this, but this is actually how the kingdom operates. And so he goes through, and, he, and his, his main teaching there uh, is all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about the kingdom. Uh, his priority in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus say as a priority? The kingdom of God. What, when, when the disciples said, Teach us to pray, guess what Jesus taught them to pray? Matthew 6.10, Our Father which heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Uh, in case you didn't understand what that meant, Thy will or values and life and protocols and ways be in the earth like they are in heaven, in case we didn't understand it, see, and uh, Jesus' prayer. So then there's parables. How many of you all know the parables Jesus spoke? Jesus told lots of stories of parables. You will find almost without exception, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew 13 and uh, verse, uh, I think, 24, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower went out to sow. Uh, And he has all these parables, Matthew 13, 31, more parables. He had had about a half a dozen parables there of the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven's like a householder. Kingdom of heaven's like a man cast out a net. Kingdom of heaven's like a man who found a pearl in the field or treasure in the field. The pearl of great price. It's all actually how the kingdom is, what the kingdom of God is like. He taught about the kingdom all the time. In Matthew 24 24 and 25, uh, they said, when is the sign of your coming? And you know what he began to teach? He began to teach parables about the kingdom again. You know, the, the, the kingdom of heavens like five wise versions, five foolish versions. And then he talked about the kingdom of heaven. It's like uh, the king who went to a far country and he called himself his servants and he gave to everyone talents and said, occupy till I come or be busy and trade and be productive till I come. That's the kingdom. So he talked, all his teaching was about the kingdom, the kingdom. And guess what? After he rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, would you believe what he spoke about for 40 days? Yeah, God, do you know what he spoke about for 40 days? He spoke to them things concerning the kingdom. And you know what the disciples asked? When's the kingdom going to come? And he said, don't worry about when the kingdom's coming. Now, he said, you'll get power, you see, because kingdom and power are associated with one another. The Holy Ghost will come on you, and you'll be witnesses unto me. Now, the problem the disciples had was... They kept thinking of the kingdom as being an earthly kingdom with an earthly king, and they expected Jesus to arise and overthrow the Roman government. They expected a natural thing. That's why they missed the cross altogether. They were so convinced because when he talked kingdom, they're thinking David and a king and the glorious days of Israel. They're thinking all of this. He's thinking of a spiritual kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's from another world. It's from heaven. Hey? Now this is Jesus. So Jesus, all is written. Now I've only given you a little of all the verses there are on the kingdom. Everywhere Jesus taught about the kingdom. Have another look at those parables and start to reread them, and you'll see they're all about what the kingdom is about. Then the uh, apostles' ministry in Matthew chapter nine and verse thirty-five. Guess what the apostles did when they went out? Matthew nine and verse thirty-five. They got up there, and, uh, and uh, Jesus went about teaching, preaching the gospel, of the kingdom. Healing every sickness and disease among the people. I guess the disciples did the same thing. In Acts chapter eight and verse twelve, Philip went out preaching and doing miracles. Guess what he was preaching about? The kingdom of God. And uh, Paul, when he was preaching, Acts nineteen eight. Guess what he preached about? The kingdom of God. Now we don't seem to realize just how much the total emphasis of the Bible, from one end to another, is about kingdom. Now. When you're talking about kingdom, you're talking about a realm of government. See, every society needs governing some way. And next week, I'll I'll look at some of the different styles of government that they have. And, of course, the one we're in right now is democracy. And we kind of think democracy is the only way. And, of course, Americans think democracy is the only way. Actually, the only way, ultimately, is the kingdom of God. However, democracy has got tremendous advantages in it except when you try and impose it on a tribal culture. And then you find you run into a a tribal culture is essentially another kingdom. So if you look into tribes, they've always got a king at the top of the tribe. And the king rules over everyone in the tribe. So when you come and you have a look at a country like uh, Iraq, you've got different tribal groups or different ethnic groups and religious groups. And of course, they are led in a tribal type fashion. And then, when you try to bring them together, the only way it's ever worked is if there was a strong man ruled over them, and actually ruled by force. Okay, so, have a look at Yugoslavia, for example. Uh, immediately, the strong man was taken away. The tribal rivalries arose again, and they all fought one another. And the ethnic killing was horrendous. It's all an issue of government. How will we be governed? And so, all the fighting that goes on in the world is all about either religion or government, or a mix of the two. It's all about that. And it's because at the core of man's problem is what we lost was the good government of God in the earth. That's why there's all the wrestling. So the conflict of the universe is who will be in charge, who will be in control, who will rule. It's always that. In every conflict between a husband and wife, you know what it'll always be about? In the end, who will rule? unless they learn how to work as a partner, how they work to work as a team, how to learn to work under God's rule to achieve an agreeable solution. All the conflicts the kids have with the parents, it's all about who will rule, especially if you're a teenager. Teenagers want to rule, parents want to rule, and so the conflict's about who will rule. It's always that. And so when we get to the whole series on undercover, it's actually about recognizing and positioning yourself so that you're in a position where you can bring the influence of God into the earth. If you don't position yourself right, you can't do it. That's why so many Christians are so ineffective, because they come to church, but they don't understand that God wants us to understand how the kingdom operates and operate on those principles. Getting the idea? Okay, now just give you a couple of more scriptures, then we're going to look at the key one that we've started. Now, in case you were concerned about all the end times, then look at a couple of good end time ones. And uh, in Daniel chapter 244, Daniel got a prophetic vision. Now, his prophetic vision, I won't go into all the details of it. You can read it for your own. But basically, he was in Babylon. And what had happened was that Babylon had arisen as a kingdom. And it was a world kingdom. It was a world government. All the known world in Asia was ruled by Babylon. And uh, so what happened then was... Uh, the king of Babylon got a dream, and in the dream he saw certain things. And so he asked, and Daniel was the only one who could interpret it. And what he saw was a big image, and he saw this huge image. And it had a head of gold, and then it had the chest of silver, and then the belly of bronze, and then the legs, and so on went right down to the feet. And, and he saw a stone come and smash this thing, and the whole thing crumpled. And Daniel said, this is what it all means. The, king, the head of gold is the kingdom of Babylon. After that will be another one. And, of course, anyone who studied history understands that Babylon fell and the Medes and the Persians took over. That was the next one. And then after that, they fell, and then the Greeks took over. And after that, they fell, and the Romans took over, which are the legs of of Bronn. And then, finally, you get what the last kingdom, which is the current day we live in. And it says, in that day, in the days of those kings, it said, God will raise up a kingdom and it shall smash in pieces the religious kingdom, the educational kingdom. He said, every kingdom that's been devised by man, whether it be financial, religious, education, political, or military, all will be subdued by the power of God, all. And so he said, notice he said, in the the days of those kings, read what it says. Let's have a look what it says. I I can put it back up again. Leave it up there. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and stand forever. Now, if you were a betting man, if a guy has got already Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, he got four predictions right, I'd be backing on that last one happening. I've been there and I've seen the ruins of all of those places. And they're all there. Great kingdoms. Unbelievable kingdoms. When you see what must have been the glory and splendor of Greece, the buildings that they've built there, the the, the we can't even do that today. And yet they had these huge marble structures. When you stand there, I mean, I can't even put my arms around some of the pillars. They were that big. And huge pillars that went up. Sometimes three, four stories. Huge, massive constructions that have lasted 2,000 years. You can hardly believe the glory of it. And yet it was overthrown exactly as was prophesied. Jeremiah, as a young man, was called by God and raised up to prophesy the overthrow of those kingdoms. And then it took place. So the Medes and the Persians took over and the Greeks took over. We went to Greece. You can see in Greece the, the remnants there, of all of these massive buildings and amphitheatres, huge amphitheatres and and places where people gather. We went there to the place where in Ephesus in Turkey where Paul preached and you can actually see the road that they would have come up from on the ships that had come up at the end of the road and berth and they come down this path, marble path with columns all the way to an amphitheater would seat thousands, 60,000 people. And you can hear with the you can hear Someone talking quietly like this right up the back. So can you imagine? We stood there in, in that place there, which was constructed by people. We'd have trouble building a thing like that today. And buildings everywhere like that. And They were, they were kingdoms that were once mighty in the earth, and they have been overthrown. The West is a civilization. The same thing eventually will happen. It's just inevitable. Inevitable. So it's just exciting to see these things, isn't it? Here, look, read this. Here's a, here's a better one. Here, here we are. It isn't it? Revelations chapter eleven and verse fifteen. Revelation eleven fifteen. John saw it too. See. So this is only a selection. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "Now look, the kingdoms of this world have became, become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever." Now, who is His? If do we know who the Lord is first of all? Who's the Lord there? The Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ. So who's his Christ? His anointed body. We're called the body of Christ. So from beginning of the Bible to the end, the Bible makes it very clear the destiny of the people of God is to advance his kingdom right through the world, every part of society. Not by force and might and using a sword, but by the power of the Spirit of God. Are you all thinking about that? So this is only his introduction. So we have to see that. So now, there's heaps of scriptures like this, and we could talk a lot about this So I just want to just get it touched on today we need a revelation of the kingdom because that's what Jesus came to talk about and came to restore. I want you to go and have a look with me in Matthew, then chapter six and verse thirty-three. Let's go back there again. I want to just look at a few things in Matthew chapter six. Uh, Matthew chapter six, and we we'll pick it up there. Now you notice Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom." Let's have a look at the context he's talking about. He's talking verse chapter five and verse. Uh, uh, 1, he's talking to his disciples, and verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom. And this is all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and now we get here, and we'll pick it up at verse 24 through to 33. Now, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other. He will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. doesn't mean, it doesn't say there you can't have money and you can't have heaps of it, it says you just can't serve it. So it's impossible to serve it. So you notice here he points out that money demands us serve it in contrast to serving God. I'll explain that and what I mean in just a moment. Now, therefore, I tell you. So he's saying, now, listen, I don't worry about your life. Don't be in a place of anxiety about what you eat, what you drink, nor your body, what you put on. Life is more than food and drink and clothing. The purpose of life is much more than just that. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more value than birds? So he says, which of you by worrying can even get one inch taller? Why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. They they grow, they don't toil, and they don't have to work to do it. And even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like these. If God clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is gone in the oven, how much more shall He clothe you, are you of little faith? Therefore, he repeats it again, don't worry. Three times he says, don't worry. Or like they say, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry. Here it is, verse 25. Don't worry. Verse 31. Don't worry. Verse 34. Don't worry. If he says it once, it's important. If he says it twice, he must really want us to get it. He's saying three times in the space of a few verses, don't worry, stop worrying. Listen, don't worry. Everyone worries. And I looked at these people on the ship and I looked at them. There's so many sad people. We're just having a ball. You know, all around us they hear the noise and the laughter. You know, and other people are serious and they're worried about this and worried about that and anxious about all kinds of stuff. You know, we, we, we just used to go ashore and we'd, you know, all these Americans would have their own kind of, uh, they'd, have the, they'd, they'd arrange these tours that cost them heaps of money and we'd just go ashore and wander ashore and see if we could find a train or a bus or something. And they said, well, aren't you worried you get lost? So we get lost, we'll find our way around it again. Don't worry if we get lost, not going to worry about that. Why do not you worry about this? And they were, And in the end it boiled down, they were bound by fear and couldn't do things that would have really enlarged their life. Because of fear. They're just worried. What my, my mother used to worry something terrible. Ay, ay, ay. Worry, 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 worry. It says, but seek first, the, it says verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles seek after, and your father knows you need those things. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, the evil is sufficient for tomorrow, uh, today. Uh, it said, Tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, let me just give you a few scriptures in there. Clearly, Jesus is talking about priorities. Now, priorities are really important. Anyone who's uh, done any motivational stuff understand priority is setting first things first. Prioritizing, when you look at all the things you need to do, you've got to decide what really counts. So, a priority means the most important thing. Now, you would all be realized that the world is full of trivia all pulling on you to waste your time and your energy. So if you have a look at your life, then you look at how you spend your life, so how you spend your energy, how you spend your time, and how you spend your money. If we were just to have a look at what you did with that, we would know what you value with your life because your choices will always reflect what is important to you. It's inevitable. The decisions you've been making over the last few years come out of what was important to you. And, of course, you get older or you've been around a while or come to the Lord, you realize, man, I made some bad choices back there. We were talking to one young guy on the ship there, and, and uh, he'd just been blowing all his dough. had this huge chance to earn a lot of money, just blew all the dough until he got married. And now he's careful with his money. See, now why is he careful with his money now and he wasn't before? Now there's a higher priority. Before, it was have the good time. Now, I've got to provide for a wife and family. My priorities have changed, therefore choices have changed. So your choices currently and in the past have have been determined by what is important to you. Now, you may think God's important to you, but have a look at whether any of the choices or decisions you've made have had any reference to God at all. And often we find that there are many other things in our heart determine what our choices are. The Bible says, and uh, Rob was sharing this morning, Proverbs twenty three seven, as you think in your heart, that's how you are. So your thinking in your heart, what you believe in your heart, at the end will determine what's important for you. And so all of us, the Bible tells us very clearly in these verses, Jesus says, look, there's a lot of things will call for your attention, but there's something you need to make a priority. You have to choose this every day. He said, make it a priority, make the kingdom of heaven your priority. And and I'll explain just a little bit about this in a moment. Okay then, let's go have a look through it here. So it says, seek first. That word first means literally the first importance, the first in rank of all the things you need to do, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, whatever all that means, is Jesus said it's the most important. So underline the verse and he says, seek it first. Circle first. First means do this before everything else. First. So in case you have trouble working out what's important in your life, Jesus laid it out in this verse. This is what's important. First thing. This is the first thing. The first thing. Do this before everything else. This is number one. First. First. Not last. Not if you can fit it in. First. I'll, I'll probably explain a bit more about it tonight, but let me just, I'll try to get this home first of all. Now, let's just go quickly through what he said in terms of his priority. He said, n- notice this, he said, he said that you can't serve two masters, uh, you can't serve God and money. It doesn't mean to say you can't have a heap of money. It just says you can't serve money. So basically, at the end, your time and your money actually reveal what your priorities are. So. Uh, He says, don't serve. You can't serve God and mammon. So God is a spirit. Mammon must have a spiritual power behind it that yells, serve me, serve me, serve me. Now, if you're a person who's got a lot of debt, you are serving money. You're just serving. You're in slavery and bondage. The Bible says the one who owes the money, he's in bondage to the one who lent it to him. Of course, are certain situations where you do need to get loans for uh, appreciating assets like a house and so on. But if you're just running up credit card debt and you're living your life on debt, you are serving money. You are its servant. And some people in the church just keep borrowing and they get, because they can get credit free or debt free, they get debt free, but it actually costs you because in the end you pay all this interest on it. What happens is you mortgage your future so you've got no choices. See, so one of the greatest things is to be able to get debt free so then you increase your choices about your future. Right? So he says, you want to serve money or serve God? So how do you know whether you're serving money or God? They're very, very simple. If money is ruling over your fears and concerns and dominates your thinking and, the, and is never enough, then money is ruling your life. How can you tell if, if you've got a victory through in it? Well, it'll start to come into order and you'll begin to manage the money. But here's one of the key determiners. If you can give money, then you rule money. If you can give it, you rule it. If you can't give it, then you know you haven't got rule over it. It's got rule over you. So one of the things is your money will always have a message. It'll be generous or stingy. If you've got stingy money, it means money rules you and you're a stingy person inside and money is fleeing from you and you've never got enough. But if you're generous in your heart, your money will be generous. I'm not saying being extravagant or anything like that, but there'll be a generosity to people that'll come in every part of your life and that reflects that you're serving God or that you've got free of serving money. There's uh, a lot of stuff on that. I don't want to go too far into that. Anyway, let's go back a bit further. So Jesus said, don't be anxious or don't be wound up. Don't worry or be anxious about daily needs. Don't, now, everyone worries about the same things. They worry about food. They worry about their clothes. They worry about where they're going to live. They worry about next week. They worry about basically daily living. And Jesus said, the world does that, don't do that as a believer. He said, well, I need all those things. Yeah, but he said, don't worry about them. Don't make that the focus of your life and attention. The word worry means to be divided or distracted so you're anxious and you can't focus and enjoy your life. So he says, don't be uptight and worried. And what is the key to not being uptight and worried? The key is to set your priority on something else. Then when you set your priority on something else, not only are you're not worried, but actually the other things start to come into your life. See what he's saying? So he says, "Seek first, or seek first the kingdom of God." So that word, seek, pursue after, or make a diligent effort to, to get to for the kingdom of God. So what is that kingdom, and what is this righteousness? I'll explain it more at another time. But let me just give you this: the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is all about a king and what he rules over. So to seek the kingdom of God is to seek to know God's values, God's ways, God's protocols, and to connect with him in such a way that you purpose in your heart, you're going to make this the way you'll run your life. So God's got something in his His word about how marriages work, how families work, how your finances work, how relationships work. The Bible is full of instructions of how the kingdom operates. Okay? And so to seek first the kingdom of God means you make it a priority to deepen your walk with God and apply his will to your life so you can be an influence on others. See, the problem with religion is people talk, but they don't actually live it. But with the kingdom, you make it a priority to allow God's uh, uh, rule, to allow the, the ways of God to become your ways of living. And then you've got power in your life to help others. It's quite simple, isn't it? So like the, the principles of God are really simple. Like for example, in the kingdom, it says love. It says forgive. It says walk humbly. It says there's a whole heap of things that tells us what to do. So it says, so first of all, place your first priority on pursuing knowing God and applying his ways to every area of your life. Now the dilemma comes if we, if we have a division between our Sunday life and then all the rest of our week. Then you become religious. Any person who divides up their life, Sunday is God day, God church stuff, and the rest of the week I just do other stuff, they are actually religious. Why are they religious? Because they haven't really understood. It's never about coming into a meeting. It's all about the kingdom coming into the earth, and that's a daily pursuit. Daily prayer, daily in the word of God, daily looking to apply God's word to my life. Okay, here's the second one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what does it mean to seek his righteousness? I'll just put a very simple definition because when you look at it, you think, oh, I've got to be a do-gooder and I've got to be so good and it's so hard to be good. Now, it's, 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 it's not really, it's more than that. It says his righteousness. Now, religion will always be working hard to try and get God to accept me. And that's why the majority of religious people never feel they're good enough for God. It says seek his righteousness. So let me just give a definition of righteousness. Righteousness is having a right standing or positioning with God. A right standing or positioning with God. In other words, righteousness is knowing where you stand with God and being in good relationship and fellowship with him. See, everything is about positioning. The reason God wants me to, to seek this positioning and right relationship with him is because he wants to pour blessings into my life. If I want the benefits of his kingdom, I've got to place it first and position myself so I can receive. Now, in Uganda uh, last year, we had to put a hold on some of the giving. Not we didn't have the money, couldn't give it. It's just we had to put a hold on it because they did not position themselves to be able to receive what we wanted to give them. And so we wouldn't give it to them because I didn't want it wasted. It, you do the right things and position yourself, and then funds and money will start to come to you. It's the same for you. You want God to bless you. You have to position yourself for that blessing to be there. You want God to bless your relationship or conduct your relationship and position yourself with God so it can be blessed. Just because you pray God bless it doesn't mean to say that'll happen. The Bible says seek first to discover God's ways, values, protocols, his principles for succeeding in life and apply them to your life. And two, seek to maintain being positioned intimately with him so he can bless you. That's not so hard. I'll share a bit more about that tonight perhaps. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, here's the promise. And all the things that everyone else worries about will just be added to you. Just be added to you. They'll just fall on a plate to you. They'll just literally fall on a plate to you. And I just can't get out. We look over the years and uh, how it's worth, because I've made that a principle to put this first in my life. Put God's interest first, and no matter what happens, believe he will add to me. So when God adds to you, you don't have to work like everyone else does. They say, you know what people say? Oh, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much luck. All this time lucky. No, it's not luck. It's actually positioning yourself so God can bless you. Position, and, and it comes about because of a lifestyle of right priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that everyone else is running after. You'll have what you need. He said, your father already knows. You know, a lot of the time I don't even talk to God about you know you want you know how I prayed about this cruise thing? I just thought one day I wouldn't mind doing a cruise up the Greek Isles. That's all I did. I thought it. I just thought it. I said, it'd be nice if you did that one day, wouldn't it? Cost a bit of money though, we'll just leave it be for the moment. That's all. Thought it. And then the guy walks up and says, We'd like to give you a cruise up in the Greek Isles. I remembered I thought that. And you know I thought all the other times I prayed so hard, and this one was just a little thought prayer. it would be nice, Lord. I can it's got a whole lot of other examples of little nice things like like and, and some of the best blessings I've had, I just thought it. I'd oh, be nice, Lord, and then it happened. Oh, dear God, other, all the other times you prayed so hard and not much happened, then just these odd little things, you just throw it out to God, He just delights to add it to you. So anyway, positioning yourself first. Father, we just thank you right now that you're teaching us, instructing us to seek first your kingdom, to make it our number one priority that of all things we will pursue knowing you, knowing your principles, your ways, your protocols, your ways of running life, and to position ourselves continually so we can be blessed and receive them. Father, I just pray that in these coming weeks, the church will continue to grow in positioning itself for blessing after blessing after blessing. I pray for marriages to become blessed. I pray for families to become blessed. I pray for businesses to become blessed. I pray for young people to become blessed. I pray your blessing on every area of Bay City. Father, I ask that you would help us open our eyes to understand this. It's not hard, Lord, is it? We ask you to open our eyes and understand it. We'd see it everywhere we look in the Bible. And Lord, we begin to position ourselves for this growth. Say amen to that.